All right, good morning, everyone. Welcome to uh, Sunday School this morning. We will go ahead and just get right into it, begin with a word of prayer today. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to gather together this morning. We thank you for this Lord's Day. We thank you for every Lord's Day and the chance to come together as a body of believers and to encourage one another and pray for one another and just to uh, be in one another's presence. We thank you so much for that. Thank you for the love that we have for one another. We especially thank you for the love that uh, you have for us, that you showed for us in coming into this world and dying for our sins and making a way that we can spend eternity with you. We thank you for that. We thank you for providing a way that we can have fellowship with you right now through the ministry of the Holy Spirit and through the gift of your word. And I just pray that uh, this morning we would come away from our uh, lesson knowing more about you and appreciating you more and be being motivated to live our lives in service for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, today we will get Sunday School started with a couple of articles this morning that I saw on uh, Ministry Watch. I, I think I've used them once or twice before, some articles from them. They're, it's a pretty d- decent uh, overall ministry. Uh, they Politically speaking, they may have a couple of uh, not-so-great issues, but as far as uh, following... Uh, the various ministries and popular popular ministries and popular things going on within christendom they they're right on the right on the mark and uh this one I found this week or saw this week entitled a one hundred million dollar ad campaign wants to fix jesus's image, but will it work it's kind of uh <laughs> Just right from the very beginning, you know that this is there's something something not great here. Uh, Jesus's image doesn't need to be fixed, of course, but the the problem is, or the 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 goal of these people, they're very uh, kind of seeker oriented to use language from twenty years ago. I'm not sure what it's called anymore, but uh, that that Christianity has a bad image, so we need to make church friendly for non-Christians. We need to make it better for them, more likely for them to come to church and these kinds of things, rather than just teaching the plain truth of God's Word and living lives that, that, uh, well, that emulate Christ and what he, what he wants for us. He wants his apostles to love or his he tells his apostles to love one another, and we as believers are his disciples, and we're instructed to do the same thing, love one another and show love for, for people. And we do that through living in accordance with his word, not through becoming more and more like the world, which is what the whole seeker-friendly uh, idea is. So this is uh, the subtitle of the headline is here, the He Gets Us, that's the the name of the campaign, He Gets Us, referring to Jesus. 
the He Gets Us campaign will culminate with a Super Bowl ad. Launched earlier this year, the He Gets Us campaign, which features black and white online videos about Jesus as a, quote, rebel, an activist, or a host of a dinner party, has had more than 300 million views, according to organizers. And I've seen one of these billboards. I didn't get a whole, uh, it was, I was riding in a van to a hotel and saw, saw some, said something about Jesus, and I did a double take, and now I don't even remember any of what it said. I just remember that it was something about Jesus, and it was kind of shocking, and then I couldn't see it again. But anyway, billboards with messages like, quote, Jesus let his hair down too, and Jesus went all into, have also been posted in major markets like New York City and Las Vegas. The campaign's funding managed by the Signatory, a Christian foundation based in Kansas that helps philanthropic affairs for members of Hobby Lobby's Green Family. So that's kind of, that's a little unfortunate, uh, but... Hobby Lobby, I, I'm sure you're familiar. They're rather Christian, or Christian-owned company, and they're not backing down to the woke kind of criticism and and these sorts of things. But the people who are handling their money are into this into this thing. Uh, what else? They are. Uh, this organization is tax exempt, of course, and. This person says the funding the campaign comes from a diverse group of individuals and entities with a common goal of sharing Jesus' story authentically. So <laughs> there's some more code code word language or code language for you. Uh, if we wanted to to share Jesus' story authentically, we would tell him what the Bible says. Not Jesus let his hair down too and these kinds of ridiculous uh ridiculous kinds of things. They did some market research as well, and uh, it, is, it is a fact that non, non-Christians kind of have a bad view of Christians. Uh, and that, that can be, could be due to a couple of things that were hypocrites, literally, uh, which, of course, can be true that Christians aren't perfect, and we do wrong things, but there's also the fact of the matter that every that the media and powers that be that have control over these kinds of things portray Christians as being uh, bigots, racists, hypocrites, homophobes, and uh, hate group, and these kinds of things. Well, they did some research about that. Uh, in this same group, the market research split Americans into four categories, non-Christians, people who are spiritually open, Jesus followers, and engaged Christians. So whatever whatever exactly that means, we're not sure. sure. Uh, it showed a wide gap between the first three groups and the last category as far as their opinions. Most people in the first three categories said the behavior of Christians is a barrier to faith. More than two-thirds agreed when asked followers of Jesus say one thing, but do not follow those things in practice. Only 5% of engaged Christians actually agreed with that statement, uh, which is interesting. 
Most folks in the first three categories also agreed that Christians care only about stopping abortions rather than caring for moms and their children. Only 6% of engaged Christians uh, agreed agreed with that. Uh, and uh, Christians see their faith as the greatest love story, but those outside the faith see Christians as a hate group, which is kind of... Uh, kind of eye-opening, to say the least. I mean, this is just, this is people's perceptions. And I, I remember uh, one of, uh, a piece of advice that, that somebody gave. I'm not, in a way, it is true. It's very unfortunate that it's true. But a guy in the, in the military who was senior to me told me, hey, perception is reality. And in some respects, that is true. It's very unfortunate that that's true, but people's perception of you very much determines what they, what they think of you. If they think based on whatever it is, whatever reason they have for thinking a particular thing about you, that's their perception and that's their reality, whether or not that matches the reality. So people outside of the Christian faith think that we are a hate group because uh, you could insert a number of reasons, but primarily in today's world, I would say it's because uh, we teach what the Bible says and the world is rushing headlong towards thinking that uh, sin and immorality are, are fine in your own personal decision when the Bible tells us something very different from that. So in some cases, we should see it as a badge of honor uh, if people think that we're a hate group, as long as we're being true to what the Bible says, and, you know, we have to, we shouldn't be hating people, individuals, because of some sin that they have in their lives. But we also, on the other hand, shouldn't be sugarcoating sin and and saying that that's that that's fine. Uh, here's another one that I saw this week. Uh, headline: Dallas mega church pastor. Matt Chandler hints at return after suspension over inappropriate social media relationship. I don't know if you've heard about this. He's the, I, uh, what's the church? The village, the village. I was going to say the village church. Is it actually the village, village church? church? It says right in the head, right in the article. Yes, it does. It is the village church. I'm pretty sure it used to be, did it? No, he started it. Never mind. Yeah. Uh, at any rate. He has recently been suspended uh, from teaching at the church due to uh, an inappropriate online relationship that he had with a woman that they would uh, DM one another on some sort of social media. I don't know what it was, and somehow it came to, you can do the research on that if you're, if you're interested. I have my own theory about what they were discussing and these kinds of things, but that's a, that's all just speculation. At any rate, Dallas, Dallas area evangelical megachurch lead pastor Matt Chandler hinted on social media that he plans to return to the pulpit at the Village Church soon, ending a leave of absence instituted by the church's board in August after he admitted having a social media relationship with a woman who is not his wife. Boy, that was a long sentence. Uh, Chandler said in an Instagram post that G Jesus, 
I don't want to do this without you, has been his mantra during his suspension. But Matt Chandler, Dallas Mega Church uh, pastor, has a mantra, so that's nice. Uh, whether it has been going on a walk, heading out to our river cabin, or even walking into jujitsu, I have been more aware than ever of the earnest and angsty prayer of David, Psalm 27, 4. He has been my sustaining grace and strength of this season, he said. I, I don't know if you're, this whole thing is just, I just found it kind of funny that basically he's been on vacation for two months. He's walking into his jujitsu class. That's sort of, I shouldn't even go down that line, but it's kind of funny. Uh, and to his river cabin while he's been on suspension, that he's the pastor of a church, but it, but he's been suspended. It just sort of seems like he's been on vacation for two months, and now he's he's ready to come back. Now it's all it's all good. Now, so the yeah, the evangelical church is just kind of in a mess to say the least. Not telling you anything that you don't already don't already know. Uh, but the rest of the article just kind of goes into the, his uh, situation that he's been in. And so at any rate, he's, he's, ready, he's ready to come back. Uh, everything, is, everything is fine now. Uh, he's got all the, all the issues solved that he had uh, leading up to this. Just kind of, a strange, kind of a strange story. And yeah, I'm not sure that anything has really happened over the last two months of his uh, walking to his ri- river cabin and going to jujitsu class, but at any rate. Uh, oh, yes, I think so, anyway. All right, so let's forget about that stuff. Go to the good stuff, the book of Proverbs. We find ourselves in Proverbs chapter 2, if you'll remember. It's been a couple of weeks, I guess, since we've had our study for the book of Proverbs. It is a book that we are uh, familiar with, a wonderful plan for reading through the Proverbs. You can read one every day, and at the end of the month, uh, at least last month, had 31 days, you will have read the book of Proverbs if you just read one every day. And it's, uh, it's obviously the most practical, I would say the most practical book in all of the Bible to teach us and to give us uh, nuggets of truth that we can just open up and use. You could just literally throw a dart at a board and have all the Proverbs on there and say, oh, I'm going to read Proverbs 3.16 this week, and there will be some kind of truth there for you that you don't necessarily have to know the context and the background and the audience and all of these kinds of things. There are wise sayings that uh, impart wisdom to you so that you can learn to act like a Christian. That's what this book is really all about, even though at the time that it was written, uh, a thousand years before Christ, there, there weren't Christians, but there, there was a God and there was a God who cared about how people lived and and wanted people who believe in him and trust in him to live in a certain way because that's how God has chosen for uh, people to come to knowledge of him through other people and not just 
appearing in the sky and imparting uh, salvation on people. That's not how God typically operates. He operates in daily life through you and through me to other people who need to know the truth. And we do great damage to our ability to witness through not acting like a Christian. And Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, helps us out in that regard as much or more than any other book. So the first eight verses of chapter 2 are really all about the fact that wisdom is found in the Lord. We don't, uh, we don't conjure up wisdom or, or wise living and these kinds of knowledge and this kind of thing in our own thinking, our own ideas. Instead, we need to go to the Lord and He imparts uh, knowledge and wisdom to us. And when we, when we do that, when we use the, the things that we find, the truths that we find in Scripture and apply them to our lives, then we will find ourselves progressing in sanctification. That's what the book of Proverbs is, is in large measure all about. But nearly totally is about the second tense of our salvation and how to live how to live life as a believer, the Christian life or the spiritual life, any number of, of names that we can give to it. Uh, the book, it was written primarily by Solomon, uh, the son of David. There's a couple of Proverbs at the end that are written by other individuals. The first uh, nine chapters, if you'll remember, are kind of, uh, of Proverbs are more like traditional chapters of the Bible. There's one theme in each of those chapters. And then when we get to chapter 10 is where we see uh, it's starting to be what we traditionally think of as Proverbs, short, pithy statements that impart some kind of, of truth. They're kind of the, the memes of uh, 2,000 years or 3,000 years ago, if you will. And uh, and it's a book of poetry, of course, important for us to, to understand. Last time we saw uh, the searching and the supply, today we'll get to the security that is found in understanding that wisdom comes from the Lord. Proverbs chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it says, My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, Make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity guarding the paths of justice, and he preserves the way of his godly ones. And then in the rest of this chapter, what we'll get to next time will be he gives two specific areas of life where this becomes very obvious for uh, men in particular. Uh, it will keep you from, if you follow 
wisdom, if you receive the truth of the word from the Lord and apply it to your life, you will be protected from having friends who will leave you, lead you down the wrong path and into sin. And it will also protect you from women who want to do the same thing to you as a man. That's the example. If you remember, Solomon is using the, the poet, poetry as his method. The, his, his audience is his son in the poems. And so he's teaching a young man how to live for the Lord, essentially. And you've got two issues in your life, young man, where you are going to fail. You're going to follow the wrong group of friends, and they're going to get you into trouble. Or you're going to uh, have immoral relationships with women outside of marriage. And both of those are going to lead to destruction in your life. But if you'll listen to God's wisdom, uh, God's truth, and apply it to your life, you can avoid these two major traps in your life. And so first, you have to search for it. It's not just going to, it's not just going to be imparted to you because you are a Christian, uh, because uh that's not the way God, that's not the way we work as human beings. We are still, uh, we still have a sin nature, even after we have trusted in Christ. Of course, you can be a Christian for about, I don't know, 30 seconds, and you ought to, ought to realize that, that, oh, I'm still a sinner. Uh, and so I have to, I have to engage. God doesn't do this for us automatically. And so in this instance, we have to be searching and looking for wisdom. Verses 1 through 4, we talked about this last time, and we saw that it is that this whole thing, this whole uh, idea that he's talking about here is an if-then statement. If you receive and treasure God's word, it's conditional. It's not like the, the Abrahamic covenant or uh, other covenants in the Bible that God just says, I will do this for you. You don't have to do anything. I will do this for you. This is conditional. This is more like the Mosaic covenant for the nation of Israel. If you obey the law, then you will be able to stay in the land and enjoy the blessings of being God's chosen people. If you do not follow the law, then you're going to face all of these bad consequences. Well, guess what? It's very similar for us as Christians, as believers in God. In fact, it's exactly the same as, as it is. It's not the same set of, of rules and laws, but it's the exact same principle for us as Christians. We have unconditional, eternal salvation at the moment that we trust in Christ. There's not, it's not a 15-step a process in order to have the guarantee of eternal life with the Lord. It is one, a one-step process, and it is instantaneous at the moment that you trust in Christ. Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and what he did for you on the cross, you pass from death into life. John 5, 24. 
and there's no going back. For us as Christians, for me personally, one of the most revolutionary concepts for me personally as a Christian that, that helps me to, to be a better Christian is understanding that I have eternal life with the Lord. And it's not because of me, it's because of Him. That's how we can, we can take the burden off of our shoulders. Like if you're doing a ruck march or something like that, or you're walking around with a big backpack on, and you've been doing it for five hours, and you take that thing off, man, even though I've been exercising for hours, now I feel like I can run a marathon and get a PR or something like that because I've taken this burden off of me. It's, kind of, it's very similar with the Christian life. If you're carrying around the burden of having to maintain your salvation, and then you t- realize, oh, I don't have to do that. I take this off because the Lord did it all for me. Now I'm free to serve him and, and live for him. And so this is what uh, is what was true for the nation of Israel. Yes, God chose them and made them his people and will provide for them. He will, there will be a millennial kingdom, a messianic kingdom on this earth. And Israel will be the center of that. But in the meantime, you nation of Israel have to keep this Mosaic law in order to enjoy the blessings. Us as Christians, yes, you have eternal life at the moment that you trust in Christ. But in order to enjoy the blessings of being a Christian, you have to obey. You have to live under the auspice of God's word and God's teaching. If you don't, you can expect no blessings of being a Christian. God doesn't uh, just necessarily dole out blessings on us because we are Christians. Sometimes, yes, he does. In his grace, he does do that. But in order to fully enjoy the blessings of being a Christian, which aren't necessarily material, in fact, most of them are not material, uh, you have to be living in obedience. And this is the same thing that, that Solomon is trying to get across here to his son. If you receive and treasure God's word and you make your ear attentive, if you'll remember, that's right in the language. It uses that hifil uh, stem. They're showing causation in the Hebrew language. You have to be the one making your ear attentive. You have to be the one inclining your heart to God's word. He doesn't do this for you automatically. Uh, then he will supply for you. Very similar to uh, Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Jesus is kind of uh, expounding on this very concept here that's covered in Proverbs 2. If you make your ear attentive to wisdom, if you incline your heart to understanding. Then we come to verse 5. Then 
you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And if you'll remember back to verse 7 of Proverbs 1, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So that's, uh, that's the very foundation of the entire book and the entire point of this is to uh, understand that we had the step one of living a wise life with living a life that's pleasing to the Lord is having the fear of the Lord. Well, you need to be active in that. It doesn't just automatically happen. You have to make your ear attentive. You have to incline your heart to understanding. If you desire this wisdom, cry for this wisdom, seek after this wisdom, uh, knock on the door of wisdom, and these kinds of things, the Lord will give it to you because that's, that's what he does. That's how he, he uh, operates for us. Proverbs 2.5, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Uh, you will discern the fear of the Lord. Just a plain statement of fact. We saw, uh, went through this last time. I believe this is where we, where we stopped. And I've got to kind of hurry up if we're going to get through <laughs> what we actually have for today, which is the security that is found. So in, in the Lord, uh, if we turn our attention to the Lord, verse 5, then we will discern the fear of the Lord. And then we have this, this great security that comes from that. Verse 7, he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, and he preserves the way of his godly ones. Proverbs uh, 2, 7 and eight, he stores up wisdom for us. This is very much like the walk of faith that I was uh, describing earlier. We trust in him. We trust in his word and the principles that we find there. And he uh, delivers for us. We see that in Galatians 220 Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. We trust in the Lord and his provision for us and he delivers for us. Uh, and again, this isn't, this isn't a guarantee for the believer. That's what 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is all about. It, it, in light of the, the truth that is described in 1 Corinthians 3, it is ridiculous to say that there is no such thing as a carnal Christian. When, when Paul uses that exact language to describe people, essentially there are three kinds of of. Christians, if you will. They're baby Christians, brand new Christians who just, just believed and, and don't know anything past 
what it means to understand you're a sinner and Christ died for your sins and I now I trust in Christ. That that person most likely or doesn't know anything past that truth. And then they need to learn. They're a babe in Christ. Then there are other Christians, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and Paul's own language, who are carnal. That yes, they've believed, they've uh, maybe been in church for a while, but they're just living a fleshly life. That doesn't mean that they never really believed or, or all of this other kind of language. Uh, they, they made a profession of faith and this, this kind of thing that, that you'll hear. No, if they, if they have believed, then they are a saved person according to the word. I don't know what's going on in a person's heart necessarily. I don't know if they actually believe the, the, the correct gospel or whether or not they really believed and they're just saying, I, the only thing that you and I have to go off of is what you have said to that person and what you know uh, that, that you have said and it seemed, yeah, they believed. Well, that, according to the scriptures, is the one uh, necessary element of salvation. Hearing, understanding the gospel, believing it. After that, it's up to you as, as a Christian whether or not you are going to make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart, obey, essentially. And we do that through the walk of faith, through trusting in God and His Word, the Holy Spirit who indwells us, uh, reading His Word, understanding it, applying it to our lives, uh, being sensitive to the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life when you know you're doing something wrong and you've don't do that, uh, do that particular thing, then, okay, yeah, that, that, that is living the Christian life, confessing your sin to the Lord, keeping short accounts. That is the very walk of faith. And it is impossible to live the Christian life without faith, without Christ, without trusting in Him. That's what John 15 says is all about. And when we do this, when we apply these principles, the truth sets us free. It sets us free from sin and its bondage. That's what Jesus was talking about with the Pharisees in John 8.31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, these are the ones who had believed in him. If you continue in my word, notice the conditional language there, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. That, this is right out of Proverbs chapter 2 again. Uh, it's almost like the Lord knew what it, how to, to live life correctly. And he expounds on these principles. If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. You will know the truth and the truth will make you free. It sets you free, walking in the truth, knowing the truth, receiving it and putting it into practice uh, makes you free from sin and the bondage that goes along with it. 
And that, that is, in a nutshell, the walk of faith. He stores up wisdom for us. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is, the Lord is the fountain of the truth. We go to him, receive the truth, walk in it, and there's, there is great security in that. He is a shield to us. According to Proverbs 2 7, he is a shield to those who walk in integrity. When you find yourself walking in the truth of God's word, uh, spiritually speaking, you have a shield around you. you. You are not susceptible to sin and the consequences of sin. Again, this isn't a, a shield that necessarily protects you from an evil government that wants to throw you in jail and cut your head off, things like we're learning about in the book of Revelation that will that do happen, have happened in the past, are happening now, and will most certainly happen again in the future. This isn't that kind of a shield. We don't need that kind of a shield quite frankly, as much as we would like it, as much as we may pray for that sort of protection in the, in the grand scheme of God's uh, world, we don't need to be protected in that, in that regard all the time uh, because we have life with him for eternity and that is far superior to this life that we are living here in this world. So spiritually speaking, he is a shield to us when we walk in his word and walk according to these uh, principles, we have a shield around us as we are walking in integrity. Psalm 84 says, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in you, uh, the psalmist says. I'm, I think Psalm 84 is written by uh, Asaph, if I'm not mistaken. But he, he is a sun and a shield to those who walk in integrity. Your, your life will have a shield around it. You will be protected from the consequences of sin if you're walking in integrity. And that's very much like what Ephesians six thirteen through 17 is about, the same kind of thing, the armor of God. Uh, this is an armor of God that guarantees we'll have a million dollars in the bank and uh, that, that bad, quote-unquote, bad things aren't going to happen to us. Uh, no, this is spiritual warfare, which, if you'll remember, isn't uh, you know, sword fighting with demons or something like that. It, it's it's winning the spiritual life. It's keeping your life uh, free from sin and the consequences of it. And it takes this kind of armor. And one of those was the shield of, of faith, if you'll remember. Uh, he guards our path, it says there in Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 8. Very much like... Uh, Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. As we are walking through this dark world, I mean, I can envision exactly what this is like. Uh, the picture that this particular psalm, you're walking down a path 
you have your headlamp on or a flashlight, something like that. Uh, back in these times, they would have had some kind of uh, literal torch or a lamp or something to guide their way. That's like what the word is for us in this dark world in which we are living in. We come to various circumstances uh, that that uh, face us. Our friends are trying to lead us astray. There's a woman that is trying to lead you astray as a man. Uh, as a woman, there's some man who's trying to lead you astray. Whatever the the personal example is for you, God's word is like that headlamp shining in front of you in the darkness. And the only thing you see in front of you is the path that you should be on. You can shine the, the light over here that's off the path. Oh, nope, that's trees. Uh, that's, uh, those are bad rocks and mud and deep sand. I don't want to be over there. Let's put the lamp back over here on the path. And it's showing you where to go up. Oh, now I'm drifting over here and looking over there. Oh, wow. Look at that. There's a cliff right over here. And if I go with this woman and, uh, down this over this way, oh, I'm going to fall right over that path and it's going to lead right over this cliff and it's going to lead to my destruction. Let's take our headlamp and put it back over here on this path, and I know exactly where to walk in a dark world. That's, that's God's word for us. That's how he guards the paths of justice for us, and he preserves our way. He, uh, verse 8, he preserves the way of his godly ones just like it talks about the way that we can do this in our own lives, Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 4, just a wonderful wonderful practical piece of of God's word. Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. You want to uh, have your way preserved. You want to have your path guarded and these kinds of things. Uh, a shield. You want to walk in integrity. Well, here's step one. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So you find yourself being anxious. You find yourself uh, being tangled up in sin and the consequences of sin. Well, you need to pull yourself back from that. You need to rejoice in the Lord and his great supply for you for uh, eternal life for every possible spiritual blessing, according to the book of Ephesians. We have that in the Lord, and you need to consider those things. That's what he goes on in, in verse 8 of Philippians 4. He tells you to specifically think about these things. Take your mind from whatever it's being ensnared by and think about the things of the Lord. Think about the great blessings that you have for him and from him and rejoice. And oh, by the way, remember that he's near. So don't be anxious. Go to him in prayer and the peace of God promise here from God's word 
the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehensions, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So wisdom is found in the Lord. We have, we've already seen back in Proverbs 1, verse 20, that, that the wisdom of God is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. It's calling out in the streets. We have to, we have to literally shield our eyes and our minds to not see uh, the truth of God's word and, and wisdom that is crying out for us. And we, according to Proverbs 2, we have to make ourselves attentive to that. We have to incline our hearts to, to knowledge and wisdom and God's word, and he will supply it for us. And when we do that, we have great security that he's a shield to us. He guards our path. He preserves our way. Let's go to him in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the book of Proverbs. Thank you for this, the incredible truths that are here that are still uh, so applicable to us even 3,000 years later, maybe even more now than they were when they were written. And we just thank you for them and pray that we would walk in them and enjoy the benefits of trusting in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.